I want to say good morning, and I want to say happy birthday to Mae Price. And if you don't mind, I'm going to tell folks that you are 89 years old today, and uh, that is awesome. That is beautiful. May has been, I believe, a member of Calvary since 1950. So uh, that goes way back. And uh, we're, we're just, we love you and are delighted um, that you're here and that you're a part of this, this family. Um, you probably, you know, Kathy and I just been madly in love for years and years and years. Uh, but we are so different in, in different, some ways we're uh, very much alike and in other ways we're very different. I'm just going to clean up up here. It's okay, guys. Um, um, it's just like being at home. Um, one of the ways we're different, yeah, I'm going to be real careful right there. Yeah, thank you, J.O. God has so blessed us with senior citizens who have wisdom. Dan, hush, stop right there. The way we grew up was almost opposite. On a Sunday morning um, at Kathy's house, they got up, got ready, went to church. In fact, she was so faithful in her attendance that she would get Sunday school pins. Some of you remember that from that day in that culture. She was written up in a state newspaper for having gone five years without ever missing a Sunday worship service. Oh, you are, you're so spiritual. You are, just, you are, you are. And um, her brothers had like 10-year pins. I mean, her aunt, her aunt um, wore them. I mean, she would, you know, wear it around like military badges, you know. Meanwhile, just north of Coldwater, Mississippi, in Memphis, um, I would wake up and, uh, d- you know, sleep a little late. Or sometimes my dad would come in and say, I need you to run to the store. The handy pantry was just down the street, which soon became a 7-Eleven. I would get on my bike. I'd go down to the store. I would get a Sunday paper, sometimes uh, eggs, milk, bread, and back then, even as like an 8 or 9, 10-year-old boy, I'd buy a pack of cigarettes from my dad. You could do that back then. Ride it home on my spider bike on the handlebars. And, um, you know, get back home. We'd read the paper. We'd watch television. We'd hang around. Maybe that afternoon, uh, we'd play football with my friends. As I got older, um, we'd just, you know, hang out with your friends all day. Sunday night in Memphis at that time was concert night. There was always some band And if you've heard of, you know, now it would be to my, uh, I don't know how to say, it would be like classic music now. And I think, I always think of classic music the other generation before me listens to. And now my kids say, oh no, what you listen to is classic music. But we would go to these concerts on Sunday night. Uh, Sometimes in the afternoon there was a place close by called Shelby Forest. You know, from West Tennessee. Um, it's like a giant park, and it's right there on the river, the banks of the Mississippi. And we would just, that was Sunday. That's what a Sunday was. Now let me ask you, is, is that all a Sunday is? Or is it just church? Is, I mean, what is this? And why? What is Sunday for? 
What is Sunday for? I, I think that's a really good question uh, that, that we need to know the answer to, not just so that we can answer other people, our neighbors who are a little curious when we drive out, they're coming out to get the paper or to bring their dog outside and we're, we're all going to church and we wave at them in that superior judgmental way. You know, hello, can't talk now, we're going to church. You know? Or is it just something, you know, that your family wants to know? Uh, you know, why do you, this is part of your lifestyle. Your roommate notices that you get up every Sunday and try to be quiet and you creep out. And they're still recovering from last night. Why do we do Sunday? Is it just another day to fire up the grill? You know, to kick back, uh, watch the game on the couch? Is Sunday just part of the weekend? For me, growing up, absolutely. It was just another day to be off from work. Let's look at this today. The first four of the Ten Commandments all deal with our relationship to God, specifically with our worship uh, for God. The first commandment says that we are to worship God singularly. He is the only God to be worshipped, and besides Him, there is no other. The second commandment tells us that we're to worship God spiritually. God is never to be worshipped through an idol. Uh, I think some of our children maybe studied about that this morning through something that's just inanimate and dead. God is a God of the living, and He wants us just to worship Him. The third commandment tells us that we are to worship God sincerely, that we're never to take God's name in a filthy or a flippant way or a casual way. And our, our generation, our culture has become way, way relaxed about this. And you hear God's name taken in, and just said in, in awful ways sometimes. Now, this commandment that we're going to look at today is a commandment that tells us that, that God wants to be worshipped steadfastly. That there's a day of the week that we set aside specifically and purposefully just to rest our bodies and to replenish our spirits. And ancient, in, in Jewish time, uh, when, this, when a, a lot of Scripture was written, um, the Sabbath was the day. And there was one Sabbath that was on Saturday where Jesus and his disciples, this is in the book of Mark, they're walking through this field and they're kind of hungry. And they would do, you know, like we would maybe pick something off of a, you know, fruit-bearing or a nut-bearing plant or bush. They, they picked some grain, rubbed the, the, the husk off in their hands and just kind of eating it like a snack. Well, these guys were always watching them. You know, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're all about the law. They're very concerned with keeping the rules and, you know, staying in the, in the zone. So they catch them doing it. And you would think, oh, come on, really? You're going to bring that up? Yes, we are, because it's a law. I mean, they made a big deal out of it and said, we noticed your disciples. They were always picking on them. Anytime they got out of line, did anything that was not part of the law or even traditions. A lot of the things they would bring up were not necessarily part of the Mosaic law or the covenant law. It's just stuff they had added in as the years had gone by. So they bring it up and they go, you know, that's a no-no. You're really not supposed to be harvesting. He's like, harvesting? Oh, yeah, because you do that and you, got in that, you just harvested. You broke the law. Gotcha. You know, and it was that kind of culture. Everybody was always watching each other and... Uh, trying to catch each other uh, and mess it up. And so Jesus, 
comes on the scene, and he's going to respond to that. And he, and he tells us, he said, wait, 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 wait. We weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. We are part of something bigger that God is doing. And I grew up, it was a curious thing to me. And I can remember when a good friend of mine began to invite me to church. And I was kind of stressed over that. I didn't know, well, what are they going to do? And what's it like? And what do you wear? And how do you talk? And even, you know, I went to a Baptist church and a Methodist. I went to a Catholic church, to Assembly of God. Whoo, they were having a good time. And um, I didn't understand any of them. And they're all different. And I would say, okay, we're going to church, right? But even the different churches do things so differently. Uh, my friend who's a Catholic, I must have leaned over about a hundred times during the service. What's going on? You know, what's he doing that for? Wow, this is, you know, it, it, each one of those different environments. And the Baptist church, which it's kind of funny, that's where I landed. That's where I, you know, the, the denomination I chose to kind of be a part of. And you know, but they would sing a song, and, and the, the, the worship leader, the music minister, would, would stand to the front. He would hold a hymnal with one hand, and he would, he would give this swoop, and he would say, standing together as we sing, and everybody would get up. And I think, that is so cool. That is, I just, it just seemed like, like Moses. He'd just do like this, and everybody stood. So when I was in seminary, we had to take a music class, and we had to learn how to do that in case of some like emergency where there's no worship leaders in the room, and we have to do it. So we had to do it in our own church for two services. And I was really nervous about it because just keeping 2-2 two, two or 2-4 two, was a challenge for me. But I also, and I told our folks, I said, I've been looking forward to this for years. Would you stand? And as I did this... They all got up. That's power. That was power. I said, you, can, you may be seated. And they all sat down. And then I got right. I didn't even say it. I would just go. And they stand. Or go. I like Sundays. It was just. Sometimes I rethink that. But um, no, I don't guess that's going to work for me. So what is Sunday about? And this fourth commandment, what is that about? You know, it's one of only two commandments that are given in the positive form. All the others are negative. Don't do this and don't do that. This commandment deals with two concerns of everyday life. It deals with labor and with leisure. More specifically, for our purposes, it, it deals with work and with worship. Those are the two ideas that are on the table. Because on one hand... Work in the will of God, I think, is a form of worship. And I think that's just wired into us. When you do a project well, when something happens, when you're successful, don't you just feel something almost spiritual about that? You know, I mean, I do, this is kind of silly, even mowing the yard and trimming everything back, and, and you just step back and look at it, and there's this sense of, I did that, look at that. You know, I, I think that's built into us. And there's something holy even about what you're going to do in the morning i know it doesn't always feel like it and tomorrow you, you you'll you know you'll you'll need to tell your manager your boss or your spouse you know hey could you remind me about how this is all holy because it sure doesn't feel like it right now and on the other hand there's worship which i think is the highest work we could ever do actually 
you know, we, we don't really keep the Sabbath day anymore, technically speaking, because that day is Saturday. That was a day given specifically to the Jewish people in a special covenant between them and God. But this principle, the principle of one day a week being given exclusively to the Lord is still valid. I know for some people you think, well, I mean, because we don't take it like that anymore. We don't see it as something that important. And sometimes, and I grew up mostly just ignoring that. Benjamin Disraeli was once a prime minister of England under Queen Victoria. He was a Christian. Uh, he was a Jewish Christian. Here's something he said. Of all divine institutions, I maintain the most divine is that which secures a day of rest for man. I hold Sunday to be the most valuable blessing conceded to man. It is the cornerstone of all civilization. William Blackstone is a brilliant legal mind. He wrote the standard law book. I mean, we still, it's still the foundation of our, our, our jurisprudence system today. Said this, a corruption of morals usually follows a, a profanation of the Lord's day. General George Washington, I just read this past year, his, his biography. What a fascinating guy. What a powerful figure in our history. He issued the following order in 1776. Check this out for separation of, of state and, and you know church. That the troops may have an opportunity of attending public worship, the general excuses them from fatigue duty on Sundays we can have little hope of the blessings of heaven on our arms if we insult Sunday by our impiety and folly. Abraham Lincoln, most popular president of our country, said this, The president, who is commander-in-chief of the army and navy, desires and enjoins the orderly observance of Sunday the Lord's Day. These are our national leaders saying, we recognize we need to do that. This commandment was given to the individual, to the family, and I think even it's, it's a blessing on the nation. This is what I think, okay? Um, and I'm going to give you some strong scriptural evidence for this. Any individual home or nation or person that doesn't honor God one day out of the week how can we expect the, expect the blessings of God uh, any other day of the week? William Gladstone, who was, again, a, a prime minister of England, said this. You tell me what the young men of England are doing on Sunday, and I will tell you what the future of England will be. That's interesting to me. I have a friend who lives in England. Only... 2% of the population uh, even attends church on a Sunday. And England at one time was the most powerful nation and kingdom in the world. 
uh, coincidence. Uh, I won't go too far there, but um, the principle of the Sabbath day reminds us of three works that God has done. There's the work from which he rested. There was one work from which Jesus rested. And uh, that's been one of the ones I've enjoyed reading about this week. And one work from which we can rest today. So let's talk about these. God's first work was the work of creation. And this commandment uh, in Exodus uh, 13 actually has two parts. And we intend to ignore one to the detriment of the other. This commandment not only deals with worship, it also deals with the way we work and the way we approach that. Rest and work are just two sides of the same coin. Rest is just a time out. It's a pause from working. The Sabbath day was a reminder of the work that God did. In verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And I'm sorry, I may have given you the wrong verse, or I'm reading from a different version, so I'll try to to say this, uh, this correctly. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now the tech guy said, you know, Dan, with your southern accent, we don't know if you're saying hollow, hallowed, or hello, you know, so try to be distinct. He hallowed uh, that day. Um, The first time we read about God in the Bible, in Genesis, in this first book of history for us, uh, the world is the, the blessing and the fruit, the result of all of God's labor. It's the result of what he did himself. God set the example for work. God worked. I mean, just think about that for a minute. You know, God worked. And if work isn't too good for God, then it shouldn't be too good for us either. Uh, I could do a whole thing on that. We sometimes think that work is a curse. You know, oh, I don't want to go to work. And, oh, I've got to work today. And, you know, that it's the result of sin. But actually, work was a part of our lifestyle. It was built into us and in what we did even before the fall. It was something that did. When you study the book of Genesis, uh, you'll find that from the very time, the moment that Adam was created, he was created to work. Check it out. Genesis 2.15 tells us God put Adam in the garden and he told him to tend it and to keep it. You know, I mean, Adam, God showed Adam this garden. He goes, this is, this is where I'm, you're going to live. And he goes, wow, I mean, it was this paradise. It was just beautiful. He said, uh, good news is you got to do that. He said, gooder news is you need to take care of it, okay? You need to work the garden. You're going to be a gardener by occupation, and you've got these animals. And um, by the way, I didn't get, you need, to name, you need to give them names. And, you know, just wouldn't that be fun to get to name stuff? You know, hey, what do you think we're going to call this? I think you ought to call it a stingray. Stingray. He goes, yeah, I like that. So that's, you know, he got, he got this job. So God puts him to work, and the very first lesson that he taught him is, this is the garden, you're the gardener, you take care of that, I will take care of you. And something beautiful began to, to happen. Verse 9 says that he even gave him specifics on the schedule. He said, six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
Every person on earth has a God-given work to be done. I really believe that. Sometimes it's your occupation. Sometimes your occupation is just how you, you know, finance what you really do. You know, your ministry and who you really are. You don't have to define yourself by your title or the company you work for. Uh, that's not exactly who you are. That's, that's what you do. But God gives us work to do. And he wants us to get that finished. You know, it's, it's just like not having ever-ending, never-ending projects. We're put here not just to take up space, but to be fruitful, uh, to be productive, to make a contribution, to make a difference. Verse 11 says that God rested on the seventh day. Now, God didn't rest because he was fatigued. I mean, he didn't, he didn't, just, he didn't just stop and go, Oh, my goodness, try creating all of this. Yeah, you'd be tired. I just, hey, I need a, I'm going to, I just got to sit down over here and rest. No, he, he stopped because he was finished. It was done. He stepped back and said, it's done. I can rest. It's a, it's a time of rest. So he paused and he set an example in doing that for us to follow. Not only do we work in the same pattern that God worked, but we pause at times. And we quit working and we stop just like God did. Now, just as God took a day of rest, he was commanding for us to do that, to take a day of rest. In verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Now, that's meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people because sometimes we get to the word holy and we're thinking, Holy. <laughs> Be holy. And we don't know. So we try to come up with stuff that feels spooky and mysterious and we call it holy. He goes, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Holy means, it means to be set apart. It means different. It means sanctified. It means something that's not like all the rest. That's what that means. So he said, I want you to take one day out of the week, sanctify that day. We're going to rest your body. We're going to replenish and rejuvenate your heart. We're going to revive your spirit. And then we're going to keep the Sabbath day different than the other day. So it's not just H-O-L-Y, holy. It's W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. Get it? That's pretty good. I, if I were you, I would write that as an, as an acrostic in your notes. Okay. You're hard to impress. All right. Here's what I think. And I know this is going to get close to you know, the law here, but this is what's working for me. It's worked for me for 35 years. One-tenth of the income that we make is called a tithe. God said, I want you to keep nine-tenths, but I want you to give me back a dime of every dollar. And here's what I've found with the Lord, and I've experimented with this. Trust me, I've tried it both ways. I tried keeping it all and think, God, I just... You know, you seem pretty wealthy already. And he, you know, I didn't understand. That's not the point. He said, you keep nine, give me one. This is crazy, but it works. God does more with nine in my life than I do with a hundred. I've made this promise. Finance always gets a little shaky when I say this. You come, you're a regular attender, remember here, you tithe for the next 90 days. You tithe for three months to Calvary. And if at the end of that time you are not more blessed than you were before, 
we'll give you your money back. How's that? You just come to us and say, hey, Dan, I tried that, and I'm broke, and I'm missing that money. No, you know what? I have never had, I've been saying that for 10 years. Never had one person. I have had lots of people to come back and say, this does not make sense. We were barely getting by. We couldn't pay. And when you said this, we thought, it's not going to work. We, we're just, at the end of the month, we're... I don't know if God is stretching out the gasoline in our tank, if he's putting... I don't know what's going on, but somehow we're doing better with nine than we did with ten. Now, the same thing works with this principle. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Instead of taking seven days and knocking yourself out and working and doing all that, try this for the next 90 days. Work six days and take a day to rest and worship. If you don't have more energy and you aren't more joyful and happy and replenished and your jobs aren't getting done, you know, I used to blame myself. I just don't have time. And I, don't have, I can't take off Sunday. I can't not do it on Sunday because, you know, and I found that a lot of it was organizational issues. Hello? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that, it was, you know, and I'm as busy as anybody in the room, okay? And I know some of you are busy and you would probably challenge that, but we've all got stuff. We've all got things. I believe this, God can do more with $9 than I can with 10, and I believe God can do more with six days than I can with seven. You try it. When a person refuses to honor this commandment, they rob God. You tell Malachi, you're stealing from me, and you're stealing from yourself. God can do more with your body in six days than you can with seven. Dr. Hagler in Switzerland made some tests on the flow of oxygen in the bloodstream. And this is so amazing. I read two different books that support this. Neither of them are written from a Christian perspective or by Christian authors. Okay? Um, Dr. Hagler found this out. That every day when you get up to go to work, your body expends oxygen and you lose a little bit of energy. And the rest that you get at night replenishes almost all of that, but not quite. You get up the second day, you go to work, you've lost a little bit. The third day and the fourth day. What he's found is that it takes about six days of working to feel depleted. However, one day of rest builds those oxygen levels and all of that back up and you're topped off, ready to go again. That's medical. I mean, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you the resource for that sometime. But you know what? I think that is such a biblical principle. When I say we're wired and we're built like that, I'm not just talking about from Genesis or the other scriptures we're going to look at. I think God made us that way, and we're still uh, made like that. God made the body. He was the manufacturer of it, uh, and he knows how it works best. When you can be at your top uh, in your zone and being the most uh, pr productive. Now, it's easy to make excuses why we don't celebrate the Lord's Day. Why we can't rest one day out of seven. And I'm the king. I've got, if you don't have an excuse and you need one, I can send you a list because I've used them all. You know, and excuses of why we can't do that, why I can't go to church, and why I can't 
you know, worship and why I can't set that aside. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if that's in your heart to do it, God's going to open up doors. God's going to open up doors. I saw, I read this little thing of an employer when one of his Christian employees decided, hey, I really want to try to honor this day, went to his, his boss and said, hey, you know what, if there's some way we could rearrange my schedule, I'd love to be off on Sundays. And I know this is, this is hard, is there a way to do that? But his boss said back to him, uh, well, I kind of need you to keep doing that because didn't Jesus say that if you have a donkey and it falls into the ditch on the Sabbath day, you've got to pull that donkey out of the ditch? And this was a real Bible scholar of a boss. Some of you, maybe you work for this guy. The Christian said, well, yes, he did say something kind of like that. But if I had a donkey that fell into a ditch every Sunday, I'd either fill up the ditch or shoot the donkey. <laughs> and he said, you know, I don't think that's what that means. I am praying right now in real time for three of my friends. Three of my friends who attend this, this fellowship who have to work regularly on Sundays. And they don't see a way that that can't happen without them losing their livelihood and their job. I understand that. And I hope you understand that I know uh, at the end of this service, some of you are going to dash out of here to get to your job because you've got to be there. Uh, but you made an effort to come and you took your morning to be here. I'm so impressed with that. Some of you worked late last night. And it wasn't easy for you to get up this morning and think, oh my goodness, I don't want to get up, I don't want to go. But you're here. Bless you for that. I think that's strong. And I know it's in some of your hearts to think, I would just like to have Sunday off. But it's not possible. There's no condemnation here. Okay? I'm not saying this, I'm not, I don't, you know, speaking this message to put you under more guilt or to more condemnation. But I want you to know, even though I understand some things are just absolutely beyond your control, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for these three folks. God, would you find another position within the company? Would you help them to make a move within the corporation? Would you give them a new job? Would you change the, their employer's heart to where they say, you know what, we're just not going to do that anymore. We're just going to shut down on Sunday. Or, or I'm going to put you on, you know. I'm just praying that, and, and I've had people to come back and say, you won't believe what happened. This opened up. Or, or he said, you know, we're not going to do this. And I've just found all these, these things that began to happen. So don't just accept the situation and give up on it, okay? And say, you just shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's just what... Begin praying about it. Begin praying about that God would do something different with your situation so that maybe you could be off. And I know, it's, I know it may not be possible in every circumstance for everybody all the time. But I have seen God do some beautiful things. And I pray for you. I, I pray for you when your heart is, is to be able to do this. Now, if you are in control of your weekly work schedule then whatever it takes for your ditch or for your donkey, uh, take care of it so that you can give God this day. So you can give God this day. In the meantime, practice a Sabbath. We are built, I said this Wednesday night, we are built to live in rhythms. I have like a daily rhythm. You know, I can come downstairs about 2 or 3 o'clock and one of the assistants says, uh, I know what you're doing. I'm heading for the coffee machine. Because <laughs> you know, that's when I'm starting to... I'm running out of juice. You know, in the mornings, I'm a morning person. Some of you are not. Some of you are evening. You know, I live in a house full of night people. I mean, midnight, they're up, and I'm like, oh, go to bed. You know, I'm that guy in your family. You can't turn that light off. You know, that's me. So in the morning, I'm up, and I'm creeping around. 
I think we have daily rhythms. There's time, there are times you're more productive. There are weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms. There, there are yearly. They, they, you track this in your life, and you'll find there's seasons that you, you just kind of live in. God built us like that. He made that. God also has not only this beginning work of creation, He has this finished work of salvation. God rested on the seventh day. But His rest was interrupted. You know, He, he went back to work because of sin. That's why Jesus said this in John five seventeen, little little verse I had totally overlooked. My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. I'm working. God had to go back to work, and he called his son, the Lord Jesus, to do a work of restoration so that our relationship could be healed. Now, the Sabbath is not only a practice, it was a prophecy. The Sabbath pointed to another rest and to another work. Jesus said this in John 17, 4, I have finished the work you gave me to do. See, Jesus came here to work. And at the end of it, he said, I'm done. I'm done. You remember the last words of Jesus on the, the cross? It is finished. My work is over. I'm done. Because everything needed for us to be saved, Jesus did. All he had to do was clock out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, oh, he, he just had to punch the clock. He had to leave. He had to be resurrected. He had to raise from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. And what did he do after that? Love this. Listen to this. Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Why did he sit down? Because he's done. His work is over. And you know that's not said about anybody else? Ever? He could never sit down before that because his work was never finished. But Jesus, our high priest. See, there are no chairs in the Holy of Holies. I mean, there, there were no chairs in the tabernacle. There were no chairs in the temple area where, where the high priest would go in once a year. Jesus has a chair and he sits down because he's done. Now in Colossians 2, Paul recounts how Jesus died for our sins. How he recreated us. You're a new something. He made us alive. He forgave us for our sins. He wiped out everything that's against us. He nailed all of that to the cross. And then, right after that, in verse 16, he says this, Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are the shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Get, don't stay with me. The substance is Christ. Listen to carefully what Paul or whoever Paul said. The Sabbath is a shadow. The substance of what that's about is the Savior. The shadow was the Saturday. The substance was Jesus. So people who insist on keeping the Sabbath and Saturday are just chasing shadows. That's all that was. 
Rest is no longer just a period of time. Rest is now. Oh, folks, rest is a person. We rest not at a place. We rest in Jesus. We rest in Christ. That's where the Sabbath is. Now, this kind of explains, too, why we rest. And, you know, people have asked me before, how come, why do we stop going to church? Or what, you know, they all went on Saturdays. When did we switch over to Sunday? That's a good question. When the Old Testament, the Sabbath day, was the seventh day of the week. It was the last day. Verse 10 says, but the seventh is the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. Ninety times in the Old Testament, 50 times in the New Testament, Saturday. The seventh day of the week is called the Sabbath day. As Christians, we, work on the, we, we worship on the first day. Now, the Sabbath, the seventh day, was the Old Testament day of worship that was given to the Jew. The first day of worship, Sunday, the Lord's Day, is a New Testament day of worship given to the church. The Sabbath was given specifically to Israel. Exodus 31, 12 and 13. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. Listen to this, verse 16 and 17. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It's a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath was a covenant day specifically given to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people. And God confirms it in Ezekiel 20, 12. Because I know some of you are thinking, yeah, I don't know. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they may know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. I don't think God ever intended for the church to worship on Saturday. I think, in fact, that this commandment is the only one of the Ten Commandments. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that's never repeated in the New Testament. Do you know that? God finished His work. He rested on the last day of the week. Jesus finished His work and rested on the first day of the week. I've got several reasons. I'm just going to buzz through these real quickly, okay? Matthew 28, 1. Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. Revelation 1, 10. The Bible was completed on the first day of the week. Acts 2, 1. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which was on the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 6 and 7 says that the early church worshipped on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. The church took a collection took up the collection and gave their offering at their regular worship service on the first day of the week. Now, I could keep going with those, but you get the point. There seems to be this shift. Uh, why we worship on Sunday instead of uh, on Saturday. The seventh day celebrated creation. The first day celebrates salvation. The Sabbath day celebrated the beginning of physical life. The Lord's day the beginning of our spiritual life. The Sabbath day celebrated our life in Adam, Sunday celebrates our life in Christ. Sabbath was a day of the law. Sunday is a day of grace. Sabbath celebrates the work of God's hands. Sunday celebrates the work of God's heart. 
That's why we need to understand that Sunday's not just part of the weekend. It's not just Saturday's twin brother that comes along the next. You know, it's, it's not just that. There's more to the, to the Sunday than just the absence of labor. It's the presence of worship. See, it's not just taking off work. It's worship. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. There's this barrenness of a busy life. Uh, and we worship. We worship. So we stop and we need, we need this day. Now, one, one extreme is to just make it a fun day. That's what I grew up doing. Sunday is the day we went to the park. We went swimming. We went to the lake. We just had a good time. You know, that's all it was. It was just another day like Saturday. You know, some people, it's the other extreme. It's just a hollow day. And although Sunday, you think, well, it's not for me. Kind of like Kathy, you know, I've got my Sunday school pens. I've got, I go, I'm in church, you know. And, and we think there's something about that. Uh, but has that been pleasant for you? You know, and I, when studying the Old Testament, New Testament, we find that the Sabbath was never a day of gloom. It was never a day where there was not gladness. It was not a day of depression. It was a day of delight. I think this ought to be one of the most fun days we ever have. There's, I know this is going to sound spiritual, but there's no greater way for me to relax and to rest and to release and to rejoice than being here with you on a Sunday. And worship, when we worship, something happens in my soul, something happens in my heart. And I'm sure you feel that way when I preach, that it's just, wow, that's... You're not supposed to laugh when I say stuff like that. You're supposed to go, yeah, mm, amen, pastor, amen. You know what I think? I think the enemy has worked really hard from the beginning until now at making Sunday the most dressed up, boring, inconvenient, mysterious, stuffy, serious, sad place of the week that people avoid. That's why when I drive out of my neighborhood, there's a lot of cars in the garages and parking lots. That's why you have a hard time talking to your mom or you know your cousin or your friends at work into church. I don't want to go to church. Kathy plays uh, what's the name of that Family Feud. You know, it's like just a, like a little game and it, a boring place to be. Church, ding, number one answer. I think I don't think it ought to be that way. I don't, I don't think God ever intended that. It's just one other idea. You know, there's two ways to rest. You can rest from something, or you can rest in something. The first two works God rested from, the last work, we're to rest in. This is the most exciting thing to me. The word Sabbath is really a transliteration between a Hebrew word, Shabbat, which means to rest. And with that in mind, listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 when you read it like this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Literally, what Jesus said is, come unto me and I will give you Shabbat. I will give you Sabbath. You get it? It's not a place. It's a person. I find my rest in Him. When I'm in Jesus and He's flowing through me, I'm at rest. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. 
For he who has entered his rest was himself, has himself also ceased from his works as God did. The moment you give your life to Christ, we quit trying and we just start trusting. You're never going to be more at peace and more restful than when you come to know the Lord Jesus. Working never saved anybody. We're saved by resting. I rest in Him. I rest on the finished work of Jesus. I rest in what He did at the cross. Not what I could ever do. That's my rest. It's Him. There is this, uh, it's a classic movie. It won Oscars. Uh, you know, uh, it's an older one. It's called Chariots of Fire. You can probably get it on Netflix for nothing. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it was a great movie. It's the story of a young Scotsman named Eric Little. Eric Little, in 1924, entered the Olympic Games for Great Britain. He was favored to win the 100-meter dash. That was his event. Nobody could touch him in that. He was so fast. However, when the event came up, it was going to take place on a Sunday. Eric Little did something unheard of. He said, I can't run. He was a devout Christian. He took this, the Sabbath very seriously. He said, I won't run on that day. Great Britain went into an uproar. It made all the papers, all the news, everybody, politicians, people were coming to him and go, Eric, please, can you just set aside your conviction for this one race? No. He was criticized. People were furious. But what he did do is he ran the next day on a Monday in the 200 meter. And he did. He had never run in before. He set a new world's record. And brought home a gold medal. God so honored and blessed him. And he became famous and went on to become a missionary. And his life transformed the lives of countless people. He was given a platform for the whole world to see him and know who he was. Not because of the sport, but because of his life and because of his conviction. Now there was another young man in Scotland who followed the story of Eric Little. He was fascinated by this man who would take a stand against all odds and in face of the criticism. And he decided, he said later in his life, to investigate Christianity and to follow Christ largely based on and, and you know, motivated by this action of Eric Little. His name was Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall came to the U.S. and became a chaplain to the United States Senate. It is said that his prayers, his personal witness and testimony, his messages, was the reason that thousands of people came to Christ and that at perilous points in difficult moments that our government some would say we're held together by the prayers and the presence of Peter Marshall. It all started with honoring this day, the Lord's Day.
We begin by honoring Christ in our life and saying, I want you to be the Lord of the Sabbath. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'll give you not just nine-tenths of my money, not just six days out of my week. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I'm yours. And the rest is easy after that. Maybe that's where you are. You say, Dan, I've never really done that. Or maybe you did that, but then you stole from God. You took back one-tenth. Maybe you took back a day. And today would be a time you'd say, you know what? No more. I belong to Him. I'm going to give Him back this day. Now, if you're in a situation where you've got to work, I want to pray for you. I understand it may be out of your control, and it may be a while before. I don't know what God's going to do. It may be immediately. I've seen that happen. But can we just pray for you? Let's pray about whatever it is. Maybe you just want to say, Dan, I'm just going to, through a prayer, make this commitment to God that I'm going to honor the Lord's day. I'm going to honor Christ in my life. You may want to come forward and pray. and just Let's just turn these steps into to an altar, into a holy place. But you can do it right where you are. Or if you need Christ and you think, I don't really know how to do that. If you come forward, we, we will have somebody here who will just walk you through that. Whatever your decision is, whatever your affirmation might be, let's give the Lord just a couple of minutes right now to speak to our hearts about that.